available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome back, everybody, to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site of the Scout.com network. And I am Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com, the USC site on the Scout.com network. And we are the Podcast of Champions, talking about the Conference of Champions and Pac-12 football. The regular season is sadly over, Dave. I'm a, I'm a little disappointed. I don't know about you, but sad to see the regular season come to an end. Yeah, it always is. It always is. And it seems like it flies by too fast because I think we all tell ourselves the college football regular season is three months, but it's really only two. Yeah. Just not a whole lot. Um, you know, September, as we've learned for USC, doesn't really matter. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. It's a two month And season. as we learned for ASU, doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, your season starts in October. That's what happens. That's kind of our power rankings, which we'll get to later reflect. Uh, but if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us, pac12podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at pac12podcast on the Twitter. Uh, our website is pac12podcast.com. And I've been trying to put all of our picks and everything into each blog post when we put up a new episode. So I'll try to do that again today. Um, our voicemail, which I tested and it works. And we actually got, we got one and hopefully I got a second one coming in as we're recording. 641-715-3900 extension 734. 972. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, leave a voicemail. It works now. Um, I know. Could we have, uh, we're going to have, uh, try to hear from Chris Fetters and Adam Munster Tiger because, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Washington and Colorado are playing in the Pac 12 championship game on Friday. So we're going to get some previews from those guys. Uh, but yeah, we want some voicemails, Dave. Yeah. Voicemails are great. We love to hear from people. And I think going into this offseason with, uh, maybe content being a little bit slower than typical, uh, it'd be good to get even more. I think it would. Yeah, I think it would be. And, uh, so the show's going to be a little different today. We don't have all the games to preview. We'll recap, um, all the games from, you know, there were seven games in the Pac 12. So we'll recap those. We'll do, uh, hopefully our d- dual voicemail preview of the Pac 12 championship game. And Dave and I give our thoughts, but we can also talk about the, the playoff implications. We got a lot of questions too. So it should be a pretty full show again, even though there's not as many games. Um, to preview. And, uh, I guess I can mention the, uh, Pac 12 players of the week, Dave, since, uh, we try to do that every week. Bring the noise, bring the thunder. All right. Uh, Ryan Nall, everybody's friend, yeah. uh, offensive player of the week for Oregon State. He had, I think, four touchdowns and 780 yards against the Ducks. So I don't know, that number night might not be right, but he had a yeah. pretty big day in the uh, Civil War. Yeah. And, and then, uh, your guy, Tedrick Thompson, uh, Second week in a row, it's a Colorado Buffalo. He had two picks, I believe, uh, in the game, uh, against Utah. So help them secure a Pac-12 South championship. Um, so congrats to Mr. Thompson. And then, uh, Adore Jackson, uh, for USC is a special teams player of the week. He had uh, a kick return and a punt return for a touchdown and he caught a like swing pass for a touchdown too. I don't think they count that for special teams, but you know, when you have a defensive player, Two touchdowns on uh, special teams. It was kind of locked for him to win that one. Yeah, and it won him the Heisman, right? Isn't that what we learned this weekend? Right? <laughs> you know, it's uh-huh. funny that if you want to talk about that, 
quick. Um, I actually have that's, a vote. Let's talk Heisman. I do have a, a I know. vote. And you're not allowed to talk about it, though. Huh? No, I'm not allowed to say who I'm voting for. And it's like I did a radio thing, and they were asking me stuff, and I was just like, outside of Lamar Jackson, it's like, I mean, there's just a lot of dudes. Um, yeah. You know, but Dory Jackson could be one of those dudes, I guess. I mean, that's, a, you know, I don't. I don't see anyone beating yeah, Lamar like Jackson. The, here's what I'd say about Adore. He's like one of the 15. I don't yeah. know if he's like one of the even 8 or 10 for me. I mean, I, I think he's done a lot of really, really nice things on special teams this year. And he's been a good defensive player. I mean, he won Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, which I yeah. slightly disagree with. But I think he's at least in the conversation there. Um, but Heisman level, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to debate about it because I, I think it's a stupid award. But um, Hey, yeah. man. I didn't mean to offend your 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 voting sensibilities. Uh, me and me and nine hundred and fifty other people who across the country they vote. <laughs> Literally, I think that's what the number is. It's like some ridiculous number. I'm just jelly. I'm not a voter. That's it. That's all. I could try to get you on the list, man. I mean, it's, nah, you know. I, I want no part of that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we but that's a good point. We could mention. Um, I didn't think he should be defensive player of the of the year either. Um, but I think you could. I think he could have been like the all around. Impactful player of the year, or something like that. Just everything he does. Yeah, um, yeah I could see that. I, I thought from a pure defensive standpoint, and maybe it's just because they don't have really a special teams player of the year, or at least I don't think they do. Um, that they kind of throw it into defense too. Um, but yeah, I thought uh, there were a variety of defensive linemen. I thought had pretty good claims. Yeah. Hunter Dimmick for sure. Um, yeah. But to Karis McKinley um, for UCLA was the only reason that defense was any good. Uh, probably about five different Washington guys, five different Colorado guys you could make a claim for. So, uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We could actually go over that too. I've, our, our buddy John Wilner, who does a great job covering the Pac 12 for the uh, San Jose uh, Mercury News, um, he took, so he wrote in one of his columns, and I thought this was interesting. Six of the seven games over the weekend, Dave, were decided by 10 points or more. So basically, the majority of these games were blowouts, and it's funny, in the, the month of November, 22 of the 24 Pac-12 games were 10 points or more. Yeah, it's uh, it's been just straight blowout city for a while now. Um, I, I wonder why that is. Um, I think a lot, I think there was, I mean, as we're going to look at with the power rankings, I think there was a pretty firm division between the top six teams in the league and the bottom six. And I think just kind of the way it worked out is a lot of the top six teams, and maybe this is just kind of a silly, obvious thing, but a lot of the top six teams played a lot of the bottom six teams during this month. And so there were more of those kind of uneven games. Um, of course, that doesn't explain why there's, you know, big blowouts between the two Arizona schools who uh, bring up the rear or UCLA and Cal or whatever. But, um, yeah, I think it was uh, it was just kind of an uneven year for the Pac-12, um, where I think in years past we've talked a lot about parity. And how, you know, five teams in the Pac-12 South could win it or five teams in the Pac-12 North could win it. And I don't think that was the case this year. I think it was pretty solidly, you know, three teams in the South, three teams in the North. And that was about it. Um, so it was interesting. It definitely was. And, uh, you know, I think our picks towards the end, and, it, and we both went, I think, four and three this last week. So uh, winning record again. So not bad for us. Um, but I think I was hesitant to go with, large point totals uh in the you know in the betting lines like earlier on and then towards the end i started just going with it in the month of november and actually the picks it turned out well and i guess that's why because there were so many blowouts like if washington was favored by you know two and a half touchdowns they were going to win by three or four you know so it's just kind of like you feel like that 
yeah, it was a it was a wild, wild and weird November. Um, I don't know what it does. I I don't know if it helps. I, I I'm almost certain it doesn't help that the for the strength of the league that it seemed like every time there was a marquee game aside from I think Col um no it was Utah Washington every other marquee game just ended in seemingly a blowout for uh one side or the other. Um, and I think for the, the perception of a competitive league, you want that to be, um, a little bit of a more kind of, uh, just a little bit more of competitive thing between these two games, between two teams in particular. Um, so we want to recap the games, but there's also some big breaking news that maybe we should address first too. Um, Mark Helfrich being fired at Oregon. Any, any thoughts on that, Dave? I mean, I thought it was completely justified. It was, uh, it was what we thought it was going to be. Uh, well, I mean, I, I thought it was going to be after, even after they beat, um, Utah. Um, I thought that was still going to be the case, um, if they lost the Civil War and they did. Um, I think it's justified. Um, and I know he was in the title game or, yeah, he was in the title game two years ago, but even still, he, uh, he just lost too many games first. And I think that's the most important thing. Didn't recruit the quarterback position well and completely destroyed their defense with his um, disastrous defensive coordinator hires. So you do those three things at a program that maybe isn't quite a marquee program, but certainly perceives itself as one, uh, you're going to get fired. And um, it's a changing nature of the business. Um, Oregon's not going to sit there with a coach who's, you know, going 500 ish every year like they used to 20 years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of the big boy football type thing. And, um, he just, that was, that program was clearly going in a bad direction. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's weird. It's, I mean, he was, you know, won nine games, whatever last year and was in the national championship game, you know, the year before that. And, uh, but I, I, I think a lot of it had to do with the environment in the PAC 12 right now. It's not just that Oregon was taking a step back. It was the entire Pacific Northwest was great. <laughs> you know, not great. I mean, Oregon State showed signs of life. They, you know, hired a new coach a couple of years ago, uh, win three Pac-12 games this year. So they, you know, they win the Civil War, which they hadn't done in a decade or whatever. I mean, that's, I think they're on the rise, you know, and you see Oregon on the, you know, falling down. And then Washington, you know, being a potential playoff team, uh, Washington State recovering from their, you know, opening, uh, FCS loss and winning a whole bunch of games in the Pac-12. I think that probably, uh, maybe, you know, helped push the decision along a little bit because, you know, they're going to owe him 11 million bucks and Oregon, despite all the money, they seem to be, uh, very cognizant of, you know, spending money and how it's going to affect ticket sales and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it's, you know, I, I, it's, it's tough. It's a tough business and I get it, but I, I really think the environment around him contributed. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think that was a big part of it. And I think, uh, <laughs> there was some report that, you know, Phil Knight's getting impatient and, uh, you know, he's getting older, wants his title or whatever. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of soft factors that contributed, but at the end of the day, I think it was, you know, he went four and eight after going, being an eight win team the previous year. Um, and that's such a massive drop off from where they were under first Helfrick. Uh, I mean, first Chip Kelly, but then even Helfrick's first couple of years. Um, so I, I yeah, you know, for for me, just given the nature of kind of college football these days, I think it was justified. All right. Well, I guess we should uh, jump in and start talking about these games. Since we don't have previews, maybe we'll do our um, sound effects for everybody going through the first time around. And we'll reveal our uh, second to last 
Pac-12 power rankings too, but this will be our Pac-12 roundup. And uh, a lot of uh, rivalry games this weekend, Dave. And the first one that was played, uh, they like to call it the Apple Cup. Uh, I don't know if you heard of that one. Um, yeah, heard tell. <laughs> it was uh, this team. Washington Huskies. <laughs> and Washington State Cougars. All right, so this is one, one I was talking about a little bit earlier, these marquee games that turn out to be very just kind of one-sided and disappointing. Um, Washington crushed, like just completely mollywopped Washington State, uh, 45-17. And it wasn't like it was like a slow burning affair, um, what the solid verbal guys call it crock potting. It was just a beatdown from pretty much the opening snap. Um, Washington State jumped out to a 28 to three lead after the first quarter and just kind of kept, you know, kept up pace at that point. Um, but the first quarter is really what did it. They just, you know, jumped out, um, had a really nice opening drive, had a really nice second drive, had an explosive third drive. They scored four touchdowns in their first four drives, um, while Washington State went fumble, field goal, punt. Um, and, you know, it took Washington State's offense a little while to get going. They looked like they started to get something going a little bit in the second and third quarter. But by that point, it was just, you're not going to come back from a 25-point deficit against this Washington team, no matter how good you are. And I think Washington State is pretty good, despite what they showed in this game. They're just, I mean, as much as it is a, a kind of, it can be a big play offense, uh, Mike Leach's offense, it's not going to do that against a, a really good defense that also has an offense as explosive as Washington's. And it was just kind of, I, I mean, I was really looking forward to this game. I had, uh, you know, gotten home from being with the, uh, the in-law types for Thanksgiving, wanted to watch the football, and it was not a, not a pretty sight. Not no, at all. No, this was the day after Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, I love my Thanksgiving leftovers. I think I tweeted out a picture of this huge plate of leftovers that I had. So I think I ate it heading into halftime of this game. And because the score was so lopsided, I just took a nice nap on the couch, you know, for the second half. So I didn't get to, you know, I kind of checked back in every once in a while to see what was going on. Uh, but it was a pretty glorious nap. And, and thanks to Washington for blowing out Washington State. So I really didn't have to watch the second half of this, but it didn't have to be that way, Dave. It, the, the beginning of the game. Washington was making mistakes. There was a lot of pre-snap penalties. You know, there was, you know, pretty good noise there. They, it seemed to, the crowd seemed to disrupt, you know, the Huskies. Um, they had like a holding call and they get a touchdown, but it didn't seem to matter. Washington, despite the down and distance and despite getting a touchdown taken off the board, they would just score again or they would get the first down. Um, you know, Washington State got a big punt return. They had first and goal and they didn't get in. There was just stuff that like, Washington State could have taken advantage of early in the game and they didn't. Um, you know, so I think that was kind of like the, the deal there. There was a bunch of trick plays from Washington, mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of weird. Um, and then, uh, you know, right before the half, uh, Falk had that terrible interception in the end zone. That was so bad. And, uh, was that was so kind bad. of the end of it. Yeah. And I, I thought at that point, if they had scored there, um, you could talk yourself into the second half. You know, you could, you could have talked yourself into 18 point deficit in the Pac 12. That's nothing. Right. Um, and you know, Washington State, um, did, they did come out and score. They had the ball to start the second half and they did come out and score a touchdown. And then you're really thinking, wow, that pick in the end zone really was a missed opportunity because right now they'd be down by 11 points and well within striking distance, um, for a Pac 12 team. Um, yeah. And they ran the ball a lot in the red zone. Like a lot, a lot. Like, I mean, so what was that one? 
So it was that goal line. So they had a drive to the goal line after that opening second uh, second half touchdown. Um, they had another drive where they got down to the four yard line and they went run, pass, run, run on uh, four downs from first and goal from the four. That's not your game, man. I mean, I know you've run the ball pretty well, but running the ball in short yardage versus running the ball in open field area is a whole different thing. Um, you know, and they kept talking about it in this telecast and in previous telecasts that Luke Falk has um, kind of the freedom to call running plays on his own based off the box count and, you know, how many how many defenders are to each side of the center. Um, and if this was all him, I think he had kind of a flubby game from a decision-making standpoint because they were calling a lot of runs in kind of weird situations where I think Washington might have been disguising a couple of things, but if that's the case, then the coaching staff up in the sky needs to help them out. Um, if they're seeing things that, hey, maybe they're bringing an extra defender to the weak side every single time, so don't consider those automatic running downs or whatever it is. Um, but I thought there was something off with what they were doing when they kept calling those run plays because they weren't having much success at all running the ball. And they've they've been an okay running team for a Mike Leach offense this year, but I think all those decisions to run in short yardage were certainly questionable. Yeah. Um, so we were hoping for a better game. It was not. Um, I did. So I got this one right. This was one that Dave and I disagreed yeah. on. I took. Uh, I was only wrong by like <laughs> 22 points, 23 points. Yeah. Well, all right. That's that's OK. The other one we disagreed on. I was wrong by just about as much or more. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So this was a, a good start. Like usually I was starting off the picks poorly, but this one was a, a good one there. So. Uh, yeah, so Washington wins the Pac-12 North, and as you know, spoiler alert, going to the championship game on Friday. All right, uh, so next up, we have, uh, this one's called the Territorial Cup between Arizona State Sun Devils <laughs> and Arizona Wildcats. Yeah, so this one went, like, exactly how we expected. Like, just to a t- no, not at all. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, Arizona, <laughs> we were literally having a conversation a week ago about how they might be the worst winless team in the Pac-12 that we can remember, uh, beat the pants off Arizona State. Um, uh, they ran, let me get this right. I want to, I want to look this up at the box score. They ran for 511 yards on ASU. And this is an ASU run defense that I have been consistently calling, Hey, they're not bad. Uh, they're really bad. They're really, really bad because if you let a team run for 511 yards on you, it doesn't matter what your run defense looks like coming into that game. It's going to look like trash coming out of it. Um, Arizona only threw the ball eight times. Eight. That's they not a lot, team. right? Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> they beat this team 56-35. Arizona won 56-35, and they threw the ball eight times. Uh, Arizona State, on the other hand, uh, threw the ball 60 times. Um yeah, this was another one of those wild play disparity games. Um, Arizona State ran 98 plays um, to get their 35 points, and Arizona ran 56 plays to get their 56 points. So they were averaging a point a play. Um, this was uh, this was a monumental beatdown. Got to be very encouraging for Rich Rod and staff and everybody that they were able to put this kind of game together. Um, I think it's got to be even more discouraging for Todd Graham and staff that they ended the year the way they did. Uh, they finished one and seven after starting four and zero. A lot of questions to answer there. Uh, they could not run the ball 
in any kind of real way towards the end of the year. Very similar to UCLA in that respect, in that got a couple of good backs, but for whatever reason, can't run the ball. Um, and defensively, they collapsed in a big way. This looked like a team that kind of quit. And uh, that's not good to see in a rivalry game, certainly not when bull eligibility was at stake for one of these teams, but not the other. Um, but good on Arizona. They uh, they won a game in the Pac-12 and uh, kept from being one of those winless teams we've uh, denigrated so often. Yeah, this was so weird. Like, we both got this wrong. We uh, Badly. Badly. Yeah, I think uh, it was a three-point spread, you know, and Arizona just wiped the floor with them. Honor Solomon uh, came out in a boot, so he didn't get to start, uh, but Brandon Dawkins did. Um, like you said, he didn't have to throw, you know, his arm was fine afterwards because he didn't have to throw the ball very much. Um, Arizona just wanted this game more, Dave. Like they just wanted it more. They w- didn't want to go out in the season, you know, 0 and 9 in conference and they didn't want to lose the, their rival. They seemed like they cared, you know, and I don't know what it was with ASU, but they just did not. Um, I think Arizona had more penalty yards than passing yards. You know, that was kind of weird. Um, the, uh, but it's funny if you watched Monday night football, Brandon Dawkins made their little segment. Come on, man. You know, you see that one. Uh, yeah. Um, he made it twice, which is kind of weird. Like usually you don't even see college players in there. So the first time he was, uh, I think it was a long run and he was running to the sideline and he absolutely crushed Miss Arizona. Um, and like fell on, like basically fell on top of her on the sideline. And kind of stayed there for a while. Didn't really get up real quickly. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny. And then uh, there was like, they're making all the references to Miss Arizona. You know, I don't know. She wasn't really paying attention on the sideline. Then there was another long run he had that should have been a touchdown. He was kind of going down the sideline and no one was really near him. And he stepped out at the one. <laughs> it was kind of weird. Like, I don't know what he was trying to do. He like made this little weird dive at the, the pylon, but he stepped out before he scored. So it wasn't like he dropped the ball, but certainly he didn't need to step out there. It should have been a touchdown. Yeah, for sure. Um, gosh, uh, this was, uh, this was, actually, did you, how much of this game did you watch live? Cause I watched a disturbing amount of this game. It More than I wanted of, to. Yeah. It was kind of fun. <laughs> like just watching two teams <laughs> that have like basically nothing to play for and just scoring a lot of points and Arizona just running all over them. It was, it was kind of wild. I think it was just, you know, it being such a late night Pac-12 game, it was probably our last opportunity for a little Pac-12 after dark. Um, I guess some of the bowl games could be played pretty late. This was, uh, this was a fun game. I enjoyed it. Arizona we'll, State. We'll watch again. Yeah. We'll watch again. I'm sorry. Yeah. Arizona State was five and one. And they lost yeah. six straight. Yeah. And they had a running back score eight touchdowns in a game this year. Yeah. This year. And now they can't run the ball at all. Uh, yeah. Arizona, the, the other reason, Arizona was one and 10 against the spread and then they blew that one out. So they're, they finished two and 10, still one of the worst in the country, but you win the last one. So I think that kind of, that kind of helps a little bit, but man, it was just a, it was a weird game. I don't know. This is not the kind of way you want to end a season. Uh, if you're Arizona state and you know, at least Arizona, you got Rich Rod, you got a little momentum by beating your rival, but I don't, I don't know what you do if you're, Todd Graham, there's no bowl game. There's no more, you know, prep. You finish on such a down note. Like, what, what, what can you build on off of that? I don't, it's a very, it's a very tough thing. Um, and I think this is now two years in a row where they've been out and out disappointing. I I don't think ASU fans, I don't know if they were coming into this year expecting much more than like a five and seven, six and six type year, but the way it happened, I think is kind of the more distressing part because they won. You know, they, they won 
a game that they probably weren't expecting to. Uh, the UCLA game go, coming into the year, I don't think they were expecting to win that game. Um, you know, they swept through their non-conference, and at least Texas Tech was a losable game. Um, so, like at five and one through six games, you're probably thinking, oh well, you know, the back half of the schedule is a little bit tough. We'll go seven and five, but that's a nice year, and then just complete out and out collapse. Um, and you know, they had some opportunities. And by some, I mean literally one, because every other game was a pretty convincing blowout. But, you know, they played close against Washington State. But, I mean, if you look at these results, so they beat UCLA, and that was a UCLA team that literally lost Josh Rosen mid-game and then had Mike Faithful come in and throw a couple of picks. Um, just with, I mean, he had no idea what he was doing at that point. And then they went at Colorado, lost by 24, um, lost by 5 to Washington State at home, but then lost by 19 to Oregon lost by 23 to Utah, lost by 26 to Washington, and then lost by 21 to Arizona. So it wasn't like they were losing a lot of close games, like, you know, like, for example, like Notre Dame has done this year prior to this past week. Um, they were losing convincing blowouts, um, and that's not a good sign. That, that, that makes you think there's something systemic and wrong with what the program is doing right now. And if even that UCLA game you mentioned, I mean, if you're Jim Mora and you're on that, you know, if you're a member of the UCLA football team, you got to look at that game and be kicking yourself because I remember, you know, I got this one wrong when we picked it. I, I was in the Coliseum and I saw how bad Arizona State looked against USC and, and USC wasn't, you know, they were in their turnaround, but they weren't like this world beater kind of thing at the time. And they were just garbage. It was like, wow, how is this team? This is not the same team I saw in the beginning of the season. And it just looked like something broke, like something wasn't right. And the only anomaly in that whole end of the season was that loss to UCLA, which just baffled me. Um, the fear yeah. UCLA, you got to be kicking yourself like, how the heck did we lose to that team? They were just not in a good place at that point. Yeah. And I mean, UCLA is not any good either. Um, and especially without Rosen, who was kind of the icing on, uh, what was a pretty crappy cake. Um, <laughs> he, uh, him going down, I mean, that pretty much ended any hope for that offense. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a weird time. I think if UCLA went into that game with Mike Faithful, they probably win. I think the fact that he was pressed into duty probably hurt him a little bit and hurt UCLA's offense a little bit. But, you know, Arizona State was a slightly different team at that point. Their, rush, their rushing defense was a lot better at that point in the year. But anyway, we've talked a lot now about a 5-7 and seven Arizona State team and yeah. a 3-9 and nine Arizona team. Wait, so where do you Let's, see the power rankings when they come when they come out a little bit later? Oh, yeah, you're going to enjoy them, everybody. Um, all right. Next up, this is now those were Friday. This is Saturday. This is they call this one the Civil War. Oregon Ducks. And Oregon State Beavers. Yeah, so um how cool is this, first of all, for Oregon State? They they're now four and eight, three and six in conference, and I think if you had Oregon State picked for three conference wins this year, you are Nostradamus. Um, I, I was, I, I thought I had them for like one. I thought they had a chance at one, but that was about it. Um, they beat Oregon and, uh, pretty convincingly, um, relatively, I mean, they shut down Oregon's rushing attack. I mean, relatively speaking, as much as anyone shuts down Oregon's rushing attack, um, limited Justin Herbert. Um, so defensively, I thought they did a great job. I mean, they allowed only, what was it? 384 total yards um, on 59 plays. That's pretty good. And then rushing-wise, they ran the ball all over this Oregon team. And Oregon State's a good rushing team this year. Uh, but over 300 yards, Ryan Nall 
you know, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week, had 155 yards, four touchdowns. So you almost nailed it uh, when you were uh, giving off the stat list earlier. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I, I thought this was a really convincing win for Oregon State. And it's what we've talked about all year. They've been a, a they've been an out-and-out average to above-average team at home. You know, I wouldn't say good, but they've been they've been solid, super solid. I think if UCLA or Stanford had played them at Corvallis this year, I think both of those games could have been a different story. Uh, they took Utah to the wire. They took Washington State to the wire. Um, they've been a, a really competent home team this year, and they beat a, a down Oregon team, but certainly an explosive one that has potential um, that just went on the road and beat Utah the previous week. So Oregon State's trending up. I mean, there's there's a lot to like about this program. I think they found something a little bit in Marcus McMarion that they weren't necessarily expecting um, because they had Daryl Garrettson starting over him. But McMarion's had a nice finish to the season. Um, they've got some pieces. Uh, it's not a it's not a perfect team. It's not a team that I would pick to contend in the Pac-12 North next year. But I think they could be a bowl eligible team next year. And that's I mean that's a hell of a job from Gary Anderson when we were talking in the offseason. Oh, they lost Kalani Sataki, so it's over. They're done. Uh, not so much, not so fast. Uh, Gary Anderson knows what he's doing, and he's turning that into a uh, uh, pretty decent program again. I think you got to, you know, there's certain teams where you can, if you're Texas or whatever, you might be able to hire someone and get a bunch of five star recruits and be good. Um, you know, if you're Florida State or Ohio State or whatever, but you're, you know, you're Colorado, you're at Oregon State, you got to get someone in, you got to give them time. Uh, we saw it with Mike McIntyre in Colorado. Uh, I think Gary Anderson's kind of going in the right direction a little faster maybe um but it's it's there and i think you're putting the building blocks together we saw how good they were at home uh this was a team i didn't want to pick against the the beavers when they were at home the different you know they weren't as good on the road um and despite the losses like you said Kalani Sataki and all that i really feel it and in ryan nall you know was a stud being in and out of the lineup all year uh you know the shake up at quarterback all that kind of stuff i think you feel like it was still moving in the right direction. And to get three wins, wouldn't have expected that. Uh, but a great job um, by Gary Anderson. And I think the signs of promise where you would look at this team and like, hey, they're no capewalk. Like beating Oregon State, especially when, you know, in Corvallis, wasn't going to be easy. And um, I think we both saw this. We both got this one right uh, going in there. You know, the Ducks, even though they were playing better, they won the, the previous game uh, beating Utah on the road there. It was going to be a different story. It's a rivalry game, and you just felt that this team was was ready. And so, yeah, you got to tip your cap to Gary Anderson. Uh, you know, probably got Mark Elfridge fired or the last nail in the coffin of that. And if you're a, if you're a Beaver fan, there's probably no better feeling in the world. You don't you don't mind the only three lo- three wins in conference when you can beat the Ducks and oh get and get Elfridge fired too. Yeah, and um, I mean, there's a slight concern with well, who's Oregon going to hire next? Is going to be better than Helfrich, but. Um, I don't think they have to worry about that. I think Gary Anderson has them on a nice little path now, and um, it's going to be interesting to see where that leads. Um, they're recruiting pretty well. I think this class is uh, fringe, you know, top 30-ish right now, which is actually right around where Oregon's is. So um, I, Oregon State can be a decent program. It's not quite a barren program. There's there's some recruiting you can do there, um, and uh, I'm interested to see what he ends up doing there because it's going to be interesting. Uh, definitely will. Um, and we, you know, we kind of talked about the Ducks at the top of the show with Helfrich. Uh, a few names out there, like, you know, PJ Fleck or something. Now, the Chip Kelly potential could come back. He's having a terrible season with the 49ers, but he came out two weeks ago, I think, and said that 
he wants to be in the NFL. He doesn't want to return to college. And then he reiterated that today uh, after Helfrich was fired. I didn't look at the video yet. It was kind of coming on my Twitter line. But, you know, the headline was he basically said what he said two weeks ago. Like, he does not want to return to college. So I don't know what you think about that. Uh, I think it's – I don't – if I had to guess, I don't think he's coming back to college if he can help it, meaning if he's not fired. Um, but – it's what everybody says before they do something in this profession. <laughs> I don't, guys just lie. Um, I don't even know if there's much purpose behind the lying at this point. Um, maybe they're all just trying to avoid what Jim Mora did when he, uh, went on Atlanta radio and talked about how Washington was his dream job. I don't know, but, um, you know, I, I don't think it matters. I, I think if he had just said, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm focused on next game or whatever, you know, did some crap like that. I think that would have been fine too. So, um, but, I think it would be exciting if Chip Kelly wanted to come back to college, and I think it would be interesting to see it happen at Oregon um, because uh, can you capture that, you know, lightning in a bottle twice? Can you, uh, especially after he's been beaten down a little bit in the NFL? Um, you know, so many stories came out this offseason about how he's not even really running his offense anymore because he knows stuff won't work, and it's made him a much more limited coach and all this stuff. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see if he gets a new lease on life if he came back to college. I'd want to see it. I think he's a much better fit in the college game than yeah. he ever would be in the pros. So, um, I would love to see it. I think everyone around him should, you know, recommend that he do that because he's, he's a potential genius level. He's like Nick Saban. He's a potential genius level college coach who I just don't think is going to work in the pros ever. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, it, he's pretty adamant about it now, but who knows? Um, but I, yeah, it'd be great for college football. I think they get him back. Uh, so Definitely. we'll see what happens there and what direction. Oregon goes because I mean there's guys on that staff that have been there decades you know like there it's it seems like this is going to change a lot like a lot of stuff is going to change uh at Oregon so we'll see what's going on there all right so next up we have USC Trojans and uh you want to try a Notre Dame fighting Irish uh sound effect Dave or oh don't take me pot of gold uh (laughs) well done all right (laughs) <laughs> yeah, USC did take uh, Notre Dame's pot of gold and might have like thrown Brian Kelly into a deep, dark depression, which I think all of us as fans of um, just, you know, America and good things, uh, we have to be happy about, um, even, you know, even if you're not a USC person. And you know, I'm certainly not, I, I, you know, you're not, but I know, I know, oh. I know it's a weird thing to say, but um <laughs> Whenever you can see an an angry red faced man like Brian Kelly just get angrier and more red faced, I think it just it warms the cockles of your heart a little bit. Um, USC won forty five twenty seven. I don't want to lose that right here, but I want to talk about one specific scenario because most of this game was you know pretty dreadful. You know USC just kept scoring and Adoree Jackson did a lot of crazy Adoree Jackson things, and it was all right very fun to watch. Um, Notre Dame went for two late in this game. So they were, I think the final closing line was 17 and a half. I don't know what we had it as. I think we had it as like a 17er. Um, but the final closing line was 17 and a half. So if Notre Dame just kicks the extra point on their final touchdown, which came, let's, let's just get this right. Let's get the game time clock exactly right. So they had no chance of winning this game. They, right. they, they are down to the, uh, yeah, it was like under a minute, right? I believe so, yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. or two minutes or something like that. It was close. Yeah. yeah. So it was down to the last two minutes. There's no chance they're scoring like three times in the space of a couple of minutes. And instead of kicking the extra point to go down by 17, they go for two and miss it. 
And so um, USC covers. Uh, they cover the 18 points. I mean, like that kind of thing, you almost have to avoid doing that sort of crap at the end of the game just to avoid the appearance of point shaving. Yeah. Even if you are trying to keep the idea alive that, oh, maybe we could win this game, um, just maybe don't, don't – you're going to lose the game anyway. Just don't appear like you're point shaving. How about that? You know? <laughs> and maybe they were. Maybe they were point shaving. Who knows? It was great. I love college football. A lot of fun. Yeah, that was, uh, I was down on the sidelines for that. And, uh, cause you can come down from the press box in the last five minutes or so. And it was, luckily it wasn't raining then, but it was a pretty miserable day, um, with rain and wind and, you know, it was kind of crazy. Um, but that was like, and I, I know our picks were like not great. We were like, you know, right around 500. So this was a big deal. And we are, we decided 17. And of course this matters to us. People in the press box around me, like I'm watching all these other Pac 12 games are like, what are you doing? I'm like, Dude, my picks. I got to make sure they try. It's like, uh, like, why do we care? Uh, but we do. I don't know. It, it, it's passion. We're passionate about it, Dave. But so I was like, come on, dude. Like, so that would have been an 18 point game and then we wouldn't have, uh, covered the spread. And, uh, so I was like, not really excited for that to happen. And, uh, well, you know, so you missed it and it was kind of cool. But yeah, the, the talk about that on the sideline was pretty funny because everyone knew what the spread was and right what was around and the fact that Brian Kelly was doing that. There was just, there's a lot of talk of, well, what did that really mean? Yeah. I, I, and I can definitely see that. Um, so USC, I mean, they, uh, I don't know how much of this game bears analysis. Um, Adoree Jackson was really impressive as hell on this one. Um, he had one kick return for a touchdown and one punt return for a touchdown. And both came at kind of moments where, it looked like Notre Dame might be able to do something, and then nope, 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 nope. And Adori uh, came back with big returns. Um, he was really impressive. The run game was, you know, its usual self over the last, you know, chunk of the season. Pretty damn impressive. Uh, Ronald Jones, who, what did he end up in the All Pac-12 teams? Was he second team? Um, for for which one? For offense, Ronald Jones. Uh, he was. Second team, I believe, yeah. Or was he, uh, you know, he might be honorable mention. I'll have to take a look at it. I'm sorry, I didn't have it up with him. No, that's fine. I mean, you could make a claim just based off of, I mean, yards per carry, like those sorts of numbers, uh, that he had a claim to first team. Um, there are a lot of good backs in this league, but you could at least make that claim. Um, but I, yeah, I just thought it was a really impressive game from USC. Uh, they're, I, I, you know, we'll get to this in a little bit. I think they're playing probably the, I mean, we're actually probably going to have to reveal the power rankings when we talk about two games, but, um, they're probably playing the best football of anybody in the Pac-12. Um, I don't know. I mean, how do you, where do you stand on the, uh, the playoff nonsense? Cause I, I, I have a feeling, I, I feel like September has to matter. If you don't make September matter, then it's always just going to be the hottest team at the end of the year. But at the same time, I think this is a fair argument for an 18 playoff. Where do you stand on USC and the kind of the playoff deal with them? Um, real quick. Yeah. Ronald Jones was second team. So it was, uh, Gaskin and McCaffrey were first team. And then, uh, Ronald Jones and Philip Lindsay from Colorado were second team. Um, so yeah, I don't feel USC should be in the playoff. Like I don't think it's, it's even be considered. Um, those games matter. September matters. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I get that they're a hot team. And if you want to, you know, you look at the Vegas rankings, they're, I think, tied for third in the country. So they basically would be favored over everybody except Alabama or Ohio State. And that's fine. I get that. Um, we put, a, you know, we'd had them number one in our power rankings the last couple of weeks and that could change today. We'll, we'll reveal that later. But, um, 
yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, they're a really good team right now. They're playing good in all three phases, but they shouldn't be in a playoff. Um, it's not the fact that they just didn't, if they were, you know, a one loss team that didn't, you know, they had lost to like Colorado or something and they didn't make the, the championship game, then I think you could consider it like an Ohio state, but they lost three games, you know, and they got crushed, uh, by, by, you know, Alabama and be pretty good by Stanford. So yeah, maybe if they won that game against Utah, you could consider it more, but for me, three losses, it's no. Yeah, I, I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, and I think you, you have to shine some light. I mean, I, I think there has to be like a postmortem. I want Dan Weber to write this. I'm assigning it to Dan Weber right now. All right. Why the hell did they pick Max Brown? Because if they picked Sam Darnold at the beginning of the year, <laughs> probably more comfortable against Utah, probably win that game. And I think that Stanford game takes a whole different turn. I mean, it, it maybe doesn't, but I think there's a decent chance it does. Um, and all you fools were saying all offseason that Darnold was probably the better of the two. Um, so that whole... The whole decision process there continues to reek. Um, yeah, I don't, and I don't know if there were malicious motives there that they wanted to keep Brown in the program to, you know, have a credible backup in case, or have at least two guys in the depth chart who can play immediately. But um, God, that's looking like a curious decision now that everybody's kind of seen the full potential of this USC team. Yeah, you think like, and and I said I, I didn't like the way the decision went down early. I was like, you know what. It, to me, it was like, is Darnold going to make that big of a difference? If it was that close, he shouldn't be like 50 times better when he gets into the game. And he gets yeah. into the game and he's 50 times better. So then you're like, well, then why the hell was it? Why, why was this a close battle? Like, it, you can't really, um, I mean, it, it looks night and day out there. And I, I do think that Max Brown, he'll, you know, he might end up in the Pac 12 somewhere. Not really sure what, you know, he's, he's going to transfer out. He has one year of eligibilities. You know, he's working on his MBA right now. Um, so he's already graduated and he's taken graduate classes. Um, so I think he can, in a good system for him, I think he'll work. I think they were trying to do square peg round hole sort of thing, running like a Sam Darnold offense for a guy that's not Sam Darnold. Um, so yeah, I, it was a very curious decision. It's just kind of baffling. Like how did that, the beginning of the, you know, it's a rookie head coach. So I think you might make some, some mistakes and that certainly looks like it was one of them. Absolutely. All right. Should we move on to the next game? Yeah, let's move on. Uh, we have UCLA Bruins and California Golden Bears. I don't know if this game has a name or anything, Dave, but it doesn't. I mean, this specific game might have some invective, you could call it. Uh, <laughs> this was, I mean, this barely bears any comment at all. Uh, UCLA didn't show up, didn't care. Um, and that's no reflection on Cal. I thought they showed up and cared, and that's a great thing. Good for Cal. Uh, they beat UCLA by 26, and I think even if UCLA had shown up, uh, Cal was probably winning this game, but UCLA didn't show up. Uh, their offense was dreadful. Again, they scored 10 points against arguably the worst defense in the country, um, most certainly the, the worst defense in the Pac-12, or at least it was coming into this game. Uh, their numbers probably look a good deal better after this game. Um, UCLA wasn't able to run the ball, and Cal has a very bad rushing defense. Uh, the Bruins averaged three and a half yards per carry. Um, they weren't able to throw the ball. Mike Faithful was the most off he has been since that stint against Arizona State when he came in late. Uh, completed only 12 of 30 passes, and for once it wasn't because his receivers were dropping a ton of balls. He just wasn't throwing accurately. Uh, Cal's offense did what it needed 
do. Wasn't super explosive, wasn't super great, but they made a UCLA defense that had been pretty good coming into the game not look so good. Uh, they ran the ball fairly well. I wouldn't say they were like explosive on the ground, but what they did was they you know got chunks of three or four yards pretty consistently and just stayed on the field a ton. Here's another one of those play disparity games where Cal had uh, 102 plays and UCLA had 54. Um, and that was just Cal sustaining drives, UCLA not getting them off the field, and it was a pretty fitting end of the year. I think UCLA fans are relieved um, that they don't have to watch this team again because there was a lot of noise that UCLA would get a bull as a 5-7 and seven team. Uh, that is out the window, of course, because they are 4-8. Um, this was the worst offensive year for UCLA. I was looking at the S&P Plus by Bill Connelly. Uh, it's the worst offensive year since 2008, Rick Neuheisel's first year. Um, when they started Kevin Kraft at quarterback, who threw 23 interceptions that year against, I think, eight touchdowns. So, yeah, good on Cal. I think they have an outside shot at a bowl game just because their APR was a little bit lower than UCLA's, and I think there's a couple of teams that would have to um, say no to a bowl game for Cal to get it. But ending the year on a high note, finishing 5-7 and seven in a year where I think everybody was expecting them to be a little bit down, um, not too bad. UCLA, uh, disaster. Just a disaster city. They fired Kennedy Palomalu uh, the day after this game and are on the hunt for a new offensive coordinator, and uh, potentially he'll be hiring some offensive staff as well. So that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, I couldn't have been more wrong on this game. Um, this was the other one that we picked differently, and uh, you took Cal, I took UCLA. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I was way, way off. How did UCLA score more points against USC's defense than Cal's defense? I'm not sure. Um, they uh, they they tried in one game and they didn't necessarily <laughs> try too hard in the next one. That was baffling. I mean, it, you get it, you see it sometimes, and you know, you get it. This is kids that are 18 to 22 years old. Um, yeah. A lot of emotion. It, there's just so many factors. You're talking 100 guys on the sideline. You know, like there's a lot of dudes. And coaches and all kinds of influence. And you figured that with a bowl still a possibility that trying wasn't going to be a factor there. And I uh, think just kind of started going off poorly and just got worse. And I, I was baffled at watching this one, Dave. I just did not expect UCLA to just kind of roll over. And that seems what they did. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, they, I think rolling over is a good term. I think that's, that's a good description of what they did. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it. this is the kind of year that raises a bunch of questions. Um, you can go 6-6 six and six and not get you know too many looks askance going 4-8. and eight, uh, That that puts you... I, I think Jim Mora, I, he's got a big buyout for sure, but I think next year has got to be considered a hot seat year um, just because, you know, even if the admin doesn't think they can, I think if they have another similar year next year, fan apathy will be at such a peak that it'll be hard to sustain any kind of momentum within the program without making a change up top. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting offseason. They need to nail the offensive coordinator hire, um, and uh, and they need to nail so much, but they need to nail recruiting. They need to nail the offensive coordinator hire. Um, they need to think about a lot of stuff, do some internal, you know, figuring out which personnel need to play here and here. Um, by the end of the year, they still didn't have a starting running back. They were playing five guys in a rotation for like the last three games of the year. That's insane. Um, their receiver rotation was bad all year. I mean, they're just their personnel evaluation was just not good all season. 
um, and it peaked at the end of the year. Uh, they've got so much to do uh, to figure things out heading into next year to get back to being like not even a, a Rose Bowl contending program, but being an eight eight or nine win team. Um, that it's it's a tough road, um, and they're gonna have to uh, they're gonna have to <laughs> figure some things out over the next two months, especially before uh, signing day, and then into uh, into spring ball and into the season. But there's a there's a lot of reason, and I think valid reason for concern in Westwood. All right, um, yeah, I don't know if you want to add any more to that, but that's uh, wasn't yeah. ideal. Um, no, not okay, so this was the other important game coming up. Uh, and did we ever get a name? Did they call? Do you do you know what this one? Well, here I'll give. No, you No, I, I wonder if we got any suggestions in our email because we asked for some, right? Yeah, we'll have to check with that. Okay, so this was Colorado Buffaloes, and Utah Utes. All right, so this was um, this is a pretty good game. Um, Colorado won 27-22, setting up um, what we all knew at the beginning of the year, uh, Colorado versus Washington <laughs> in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, though I was calling that by, like, end of September. So I, I'm did. an early adopter here. Yeah. Um, uh, Sefa out was once again kind of off throwing the ball. Um, he's been kind of off for a month. Hasn't really affected Colorado, but it is a note worth noting. Um, Troy Williams was a whole lot more off. Uh Troy was 13 of 40, um, throwing the ball. That's that's not good. 13 of 40. Yeah, and here's the other thing. It wasn't like 13 of 40 and he threw for like 300 yards. Uh, it was 13 of 40 and he threw for 160, so four yards per attempt. A um, couple of picks, um, one touchdown. Also ran the ball pretty poorly, 11 for 19 yards. Just... Colorado's defense just neutralized Troy Williams, and when you do that, you make Utah super one-dimensional, um, and they were able to, really, they were able to stop the run fairly well. Colorado, as much as any team has this year, kind of shut down Joe Williams. He only had 26 carries for 97 yards. Um, you know, they, they got some stuff on some end-arounds and some reverses, but for the most part, they shut down Utah's traditional running attack. And then Colorado did enough offensively. Um, Sefa Lufau was fine throwing the ball, um, much better running the ball. Philip Lindsay was, uh, they didn't really give him a whole lot to do, but he had 12 carries, 55 yards, did his usual tough running. Um, but it was, I mean, it was just a really, really solid game um, for the defense, I thought, for the most part. And if it hadn't been for some big Utah special teams plays, uh, Booby Hobbs had a punt return for a touchdown. Kyle Folks had a 93-yard return that set up Utah um, pretty much at the goal line that I, I can't even remember. I don't think they converted, but... Um, if it had been for those, Colorado would have won comfortably. Their Achilles heel this year has been special teams. Um, if anybody would just have watched the Colorado-Michigan game, you would understand why I said at the time that was a really even game if Colorado could have just avoided punting the ball. Um, because if they had, they had a real good chance of winning that game. Um, but that's been their Achilles heel all year. Uh, it cropped up again in this game, but it wasn't enough to, to lose in the game because that defense is just playing so well right now. Yeah, this was, uh, this was a game and it was kind of one of those. We both got it wrong. We took, uh, Colorado favored by 10 and a half and, uh, there was a crazy, yeah, they should have covered and they didn't cover in this one, but, um, Utah was shooting itself in the foot. Uh, they couldn't finish in the red zone. There was a ton of drop passes in this game. Uh, so I, you know, I get that, uh, Troy Williams, his numbers weren't great, but there was a lot of balls that were catchable that the receivers didn't help him out with. Um, 
Uh, Colorado, and I think Glasses Ref threw a fit on this. Uh, you know how many penalties they had, Dave? How many did they have? None. <laughs> Zero. And Utah only had three. Like, how do you, how's a Pac-12 game that's this important? There should be 30 flags, not three. Like, there should be. How is it so watchable? Why, why is this game so watchable? <laughs> why is there such a good pace to this game? We don't like it. Make it stop. That's crazy. Um, yeah. but yeah, I was kind of watching the end. I was like, man, like, uh, Utah, I think Utah scored like a garbage touchdown or something, but for the buffs that you've been on, you've been riding their coattails the whole year or most of the year, they went from worst to first. So that hasn't happened since we've gone to divisions in the Pac-12 and no team in either the Pac-8, Pac-10 or Pac-12 ever had a seven game improvement in conference. Uh, now of yeah. course that's harder to do when it's a Pac-8, but still, it's pretty crazy. I mean, they won 10 games total over the last three seasons and they've won 10 games this year. So, you know, really great, great job by Mike McIntyre and they're heading into the championship game now. Yeah. It's so cool. So cool. Go buffs. Uh, and we've always said that we, we, we want We want Colorado to be good and it happened. We it, are the reason they're good because I, we started this podcast a year ago and uh, then within a year, they're good. I, I see full correlation causation right there. Um. All right. And, uh, yeah, do you remember, like, they should have covered, right? Didn't Utah score late or something? Is that what, I think that's what yeah. happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of upset about that. That was an extra, that, that turned our five and two record to four and three. Um, yeah, but we still made money. We still made people money. We still money. made you money. Yeah. Okay. So the last one. Stanford Cardinal. Against Rice. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest. I watched about a quarter of this game. Um, it's more than I watched. Yeah, it was rice. I mean, it was a food group. They <laughs> they lost. Uh, they ran the ball shockingly well against Stanford. Uh, 39 carries for 167 yards, a couple of touchdowns, threw the ball very poorly, um, and Stanford did what Stanford does. Chris McCaffrey uh, has had a quietly monster back half of the season. Um, he missed a game, and he still had... 1,600 rushing yards. That's a lot. He missed a full game <laughs> against a bad Notre Dame defense and still had 1,600 rushing yards. That's just rushing yards. Yeah. I'm going to say that again. Just <laughs> rushing yards. He had 1,600. And I know he had 2,000 last year, but he actually averaged more per carry this year than he did last year. There's a lot of poo-pooing going on about Christian McCaffrey, but dude had a great year. Um, he could still make reason, the, he could still make New York, you know, there's still a shot. He should. I mean, by any reasonable standard, he was fantastic this year. Uh, 1600 rushing yards, 300, uh, some odd receiving yards, um, 16 touchdowns. Last year, combined rushing and receiving, he only had 13 touchdowns. This year he had 16. And again, missed a game. Had 80 fewer carries this year. Um, really impressive, really impressive year for him. Um, so Stanford finished the year nine and three, six and three in conference. That's the quietest, quietest nine and three I can remember a Pac-12 team doing. Um, that is a great rebuilding year for Stanford. They have something at quarterback. I think Keller Chris has now had three straight good games where he's been above eight or nine yards per completion. I don't think he's thrown a pick in a while. Um, he's been efficient and fine. Um, they they have they have their new Kevin Hogany type quarterback. Um, he also ran the ball pretty damn well. Um, so 
Stanford's found what it needs, I think, again, offensively. Again, they've played some pretty bad teams over the last month, so take it with a grain of salt. But, um, yeah, and they didn't cover, as we expected, yeah. because Stanford covering a 35-point spread is, uh, that's just ludicrous. Yes. But they, uh, they, they won by 24 points, 41-17, not bad. Go Stanford. Yeah, it kind of felt like it went the way we pretty much thought it was going. I was checking back into the game and, and, you know, Rice would score. You just, you just didn't think that Stanford was going to score that many points to start with. Uh, they, they, they scored a few more points than the spread, but they weren't going to give up zero points either. So that's, that's kind of the way we felt this was going to go. And it did. So yeah, for this is a rebuilding year and, you know, you lose those games back to back against Washington and Washington State and basically everyone writes them off. Uh, you lose convincingly uh, to two North teams, and just people just were ignoring Stanford at that point, and they just quietly came back. You know, they could have beat Colorado; that was a ten-five game, um, but they won the rest, and uh, you know, played pretty well. So, for a down year, not too bad. And you know, it took a while to find your quarterback. Um, he's kind of Kevin Hogany, right? I guess you'd say for Keller. <laughs> Um, I, I think we're just always going to say that about whoever whoever Stanford's <laughs> quarterback is. He's kind of Kevin Hogany. <laughs> yeah, he's a big dude who kind of runs pretty well for a big dude, and you know, got, has has an arm that throws footballs. I mean, yeah, Kevin Hogan, exactly. Has an has an arm that throws footballs. <laughs> has an arm that throws footballs. I think that's a perfectly accurate description of Kevin Hogan and his disciples. Um. All right. So let's see. So that's all of our games. Um, for that was the seven games. So I guess we can do our preview because of all that, how that played out. Washington and Colorado will play in the championship game on Friday. I do have voicemails from, uh, our two publishers from Washington and Colorado. So do you want me to start with those, Dave? Or should we give them our power rankings first? Oh, yeah. Why don't we do that? Yeah. So, um, uh, I'm out of my email and I'm into the Pac-12 podcast email right now. So I can, do you have it in front of you? Yeah, I do. Okay. So, uh, we'll do reverse order just for, for fun. Um, dropping down to number 12. So this has been Arizona spot. Uh, Arizona state. We have them down. Only one. Huh? Nothing. I was doing some Highlander. Don't oh. worry about it. Go with it. Go, go, go. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, 12 Arizona state. 11 Arizona. So they move up a spot. UCLA, uh, they dropped a spot. I believe they were nine. They're at number 10 now. Uh-huh. Um, so they're four and eight, two and seven. Just, I'll give the records too. Uh, Arizona State was five and seven, two and seven, but like, you know, they won't lost six of the last six game. Um, and Arizona State, uh, and Arizona was three and nine, one and eight. They got that one win. Number nine, we had Oregon. Um, Mark Helfrich out four and eight, two and seven. Number eight, Oregon State. Uh, Gary Anderson, four and eight, three and six. So nice improvement for them. They've moved up to number eight. That's probably as high as we've seen them, I believe. Number I seven. So. I'm sorry. I said, I think so. Yeah. Number seven, Cal, uh, five and seven, three and six. Um, not sure what Sunny Dykes is going to do. There's some rumblings about him. Utah and Kyle Whittingham, they're eight and four, five and four. We have them at number six. So pretty significant gap between the top half and the bottom half. Uh, number five, uh, Washington State, Mike Leach's boys, seven and two in conference, uh, eight and four overall. Uh, we have number four, Stanford moved all the way up, nine and three, six and three. So great, uh, great finish this season by Stanford. Number three, we still have, uh, Colorado, even though they're in a the championship game, 10 and two, uh, eight and one. 
uh, from Mike McIntyre. Great turnaround there. Washington, Chris Peterson, 11-1, 8-1. And we only have number two. Yeah. And that's because we left, and we debated this, we left USC number one, 8-3, 7-2 in conference, not in the championship game. But it's a power rankings, and we feel they would be favored over basically every team in the conference right now. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Um, and just so everyone knows, this isn't some, some you know, Ryan Abraham, I cover USC thing. He was the one arguing that maybe USC shouldn't be number one. I said, eh, I don't think any team in this league would want to play them right now, and I think they would all be not favored over USC. So. And I, I do think if they, like if Utah would have won and USC would have went to the championship game, I'd give Washington a good shot, even though USC beat them on the road. I oh, think, for sure. I think Chris Peterson, Chris Peterson which, Peterson, yeah. Chris Peterson learning the lessons from a loss. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it would, at, at worst, it would be a much closer game. Yeah. I think so. Okay. So, but that didn't happen. Um, and there, it's funny. The, uh, did you weigh on, we haven't weighed on the, the Rose Bowl thing. So here's the scenario that's been debated a lot on Twitter that, um, you know, when the, the, uh, conference rankings, the, uh, playoff rankings came out, uh, Tuesday night. Washington was up to number four. So it looks like if they win, they're in to the playoff, right? Um, people say, well, they were close to Michigan that, you know, they came out and said that. But if you're idle, you're Michigan, are you going to jump Washington who would have just beaten a top 10 team in Colorado? Oh, no. I mean, if, if Washington beats Colorado, they're in. I, I don't think there's even. There's some people saying, I don't know. I don't think there's worthwhile debate about it. I think they'll be in. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I agree with you there. So the, the real debate is, um, if, if Washington goes, so if Washington wins and makes the playoff, who makes the Rose Bowl? It's the next highest ranked college football playoff team. The next right. two ranked, two highest teams are number eight, Colorado, and number 11, USC. Um, now here's the thing. The two teams between them play each other, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So the winner likely goes up. The loser likely goes down, which would put Colorado and USC essentially right next to each other. Um, and at the, if, if Colorado loses, they would have three losses. They'd be 10 and three. USC would be nine and three and USC beat them head to head. Now you don't get penalized a lot usually, but who knows? This is the college football playoff committee for losing a championship game. So what do, what do you think, Dave? Would Colorado in that scenario stay above USC if they lose to Washington? Well, the one thing I would say is I don't think the Rose Bowl is obligated to pick the the highest ranked team in the CFP. I think they have said that they will, um, but I don't know if that's their obligation. I think they can drop down depending. Um, but let's put that aside. Um, I, from the ranking perspective, I think they will still have Colorado ahead because they haven't penalized teams for the championship game. I think it's probably fair. And the only reason I think this, I think if it was a question of which one is going to be number four for a playoff, like say whatever random scenario, like Washington's the clear number one team in the country, they're undefeated and they beat a whatever, like a one loss Colorado. I'm just trying to play act a scenario. If it was for the playoff and we all acknowledge that USC is a much better team playing much better right now, then I would be more inclined to bump USC up because that makes for a much more watchable product for the playoff. But I feel like the bowl games that are outside of the playoff, those are body of work awards, essentially. Like getting into the Rose Bowl, Colorado should be rewarded for winning their division, being consistently good all year, winning eight of you know nine games in the regular conference season. And USC was really good over two months, but their first month has to count. 
Um, and I think for the playoff purposes, if they're you know clearly the best team at the end of the year and say it's an 18 playoff or whatever, then maybe they get the bump ahead of Colorado if Colorado lost this game and didn't look particularly competitive. But based off the way the year went, based off Colorado winning its division, having one less conference loss than than USC, I mean, I would I would be inclined to keep them above USC just and and purely artificially um, because I think USC is probably a better team and playing much better right now, um, but body of work has to count for these bowl games. I think it's, you know, these are kind of a reward for the season aside from the playoff. That's what they are. Um, and so I think it would make sense to just leave Colorado above USC, but yeah. And I, I, that might be me being a sympathetic buffs fan because you know (laughs) I I want, I want Colorado to uh, get some nice prizes, but yeah, I I think that's also my, my semi objective take too. I, I, I think it's, for the playoff, I get the argument a little bit more, but for these other bowl games, I think it's got to be full body of work. And for that, I think Colorado's got the edge. Yeah, my my gut feeling says because they're so close right now, even though there's, you know, they look you know, eight to eleven, three spots. There's going to be you know one team move the the two teams between them are going to be gone, for sure. Yeah. I I just feel like you can't punish a team for. I mean, you, you, well, you're probably not going to punish them, but you can't ignore it either that they lost that game. And the fact that they, each team has three losses and USC beat them head to head. And this whole thing with, you know, Juju Smith Schuster taking a knee when he could have scored an extra touchdown against Colorado. USC should have beat Colorado by more than they did. Uh, besides just that play, um, they had a lot of mistakes, you know, going in the red zone, all that kind of stuff. That game could have been more lopsided. I think that could be hurting USC at this point, but we just don't know what the committee's going to do. Do they take all that in consideration? They know, okay, well, whoever we put higher gets to the Rose Bowl. Do we want Colorado to go to the Rose Bowl? So we'll keep them higher, but normally we would move them below. You know, something like that could happen. It's just hard to say. Yeah, and I, I'm interested to see what their thought process is on that because in the past they haven't dropped teams for championship games really at all. I mean, it hasn't been a big drop or a big – I mean, it's been a big boost for some teams like who maybe weren't expecting to win their championship games or they go up a bunch of spots because they get that bump from the title game, but um, I, I have a hard time seeing it. Um, I think they're going to look at the regular season, unless it's a blowout. I think if Washington State, re- if Washington really puts it to Colorado, I could see it a little bit more. But I think if it's a pretty close competitive game, and Colorado really has only played close competitive games this year, I mean, even that USC game where they played probably their worst game, and admittedly they should have lost that by like 17 points, um, it was still a four-point game. Um, so... I, I don't see them getting, I mean, we'll get to this in our preview, but I don't see them getting super blown out by Washington. And I think unless it is a blowout, I just, I have a hard time seeing it. You know, I think they're going to, I think they're going to want to have Colorado ahead of USC just from a pure, you know, they, they had a better body of work throughout the regular season and throughout the, the whole regular season than USC. But I could be wrong. Um, predicting what that committee is going to do at any given moment. Has been fraught with peril, um, but it, it, uh, that would that would be my take on it anyway. If I was sitting on the committee, that's what I would be going with. All right, so let's uh, let's preview the championship game because um, we've already gone over an hour, Dave. We haven't got to the preview. <laughs> Man, crazy. Okay, so let's start off. Here is uh, Chris Fetters, who does a great job over at Dogman. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, covering the University of Washington for Scout.com. And here to talk about the Pac-12 title game. It's set now as the North champion Washington Huskies, 11 and 1, and 8 and 1 in conference, play the South division champions, 
Colorado Buffaloes, who are also eight and one, and then ten and two overall. And uh, again, this is uh, it's going to be a really, really interesting matchup. I don't uh, obviously no one saw Colorado in this championship as they've literally gone from worst to first in two years. One of the most amazing turnarounds I think you'll ever see. Uh, there's no doubt that Mike McIntyre is a slam dunk choice for for National Coach of the Year and what he's been able to accomplish there down in uh, Boulder. And then obviously at Washington, I think everyone saw that, that Washington had a chance to be really good this year. I, I think everyone thought, including myself, all thought that we were probably a year away from really uh, being really, really good with you know the skill guys like Jake Browning would have been a junior by then, Miles Gaskin would have been a junior, Trey Adams is a junior, um, Caleb McGarry, Redshirt Jr. is right tackle, and, and some of these other guys. Um, but clearly they've they've overachieved to a certain extent, and they've really come together as a team, and um, they've avoided uh, some of the pitfalls in terms of like super you know a lot of injuries and things like that. They've had a couple um, significant injuries in terms of guys like Joe Mathis, outside linebacker and inside linebacker, Azim Victor, their leading tackler and leading sack guy, uh, both gone. But they've been able to uh, kind of mask some of those injuries with guys like DJ Beavers coming in and playing really really well, and then Keyshawn Bieria really being a stalwart inside for Washington. So, you know, for the Huskies, uh, offensively, obviously things, you know, really revolve around Jake Browning. He's got 40 touchdowns so far this season, um, was just named finalist to, like, the Walter Camp Award, Manning Award, um, all of these things. If he has a big game against Colorado, I could see, you know, maybe even getting a trip to New York, even though I think Lamar Jackson is a shoe-in for the Heisman Trophy. Um, just getting to New York and being in that in that uh, in that room would be an unbelievable uh, coup for Washington, just in terms of recruiting and everything else. So I think that would be monstrous if he had a big game. Um, you know, he's just really he's just done a great job running that offense, and, and he is a gym rat. He he's a guy that's always in the film room studying, so he's done a great job um, really playing to his strengths and being a great uh, tactician for that. Uh, for that uh, offense, being a real kind of a coach out there on the field, and uh, being a great distributor, getting the ball out to guys like Miles Gaskin in the backfield, LeVon Coleman, who's really stepped up and done a great job, um, kind of a thunder-lightning combination there. Uh, Gaskin, more of the quicker back, um, can do some power stuff, whereas Coleman is more of the power back and uh, kind of gets some of the tougher yards. So they've done a nice job. And then receiving. Um, Hard to hard to talk uh, in, in any more superlatives about the combination of John Ross and Dante Pettis. They've combined for 30 touchdowns, most ever uh, in a receiving duo in Pac-12 history. Um, they've just done they've just done a phenomenal job. I mean, John Ross has gone from a guy that just had speed to burn and was a natural athlete to an all-around um, tactician in terms of being a, a great route runner and a, um, a student of the game as a receiver has really uh, turned his game up a couple different notches and um, you know it showed during the Apple Cup when Washington won 45-17 this past weekend at Washington State he didn't have any huge gains but you know he caught like 9-10 balls for 100 yards or so um, just kept the chains moving was able to get those out routes was able to, to, to make those key catches to keep things moving and keep things ticking along for Washington and then Dante Pettis had a couple big plays including the big 60 yard one with the pass interference was he, where he was able to go up and, and grab the ball over Damian Moulton and, and score a touchdown which was key in that uh, big first quarter when they scored 28 points so um, real explosive duo there. Chico McClatcher is coming back from a knee issue and, and really looks stronger and stronger every week. I think he's going to be a huge component to this game as well on Friday. 
and then they have their tight ends, guys like uh, you know Darrell Daniels, Will Disley, Drew Sample. Those guys have have, have been uh, you know here and there, just a catch here and there. Not not big big contributors, but they can be key components to any sort of game plan that Jonathan Smith puts together. Defensively, uh, it starts up front with guys like Greg Gaines, Vita Vea, Elijah Qualls. Um, you know, with Washington, they've had nine first-team uh, All Pac-12. Uh, players that were announced this week, which is a new record for the school, and uh, defensively they've you know that it's really shown up, especially in that front line with Qualls as a first team All Pac-12 guy. But I think Greg Gaines and Vita Vea certainly could have made claims uh, for first team honors as well. And then uh, outside again, you lose a guy like Joe Mathis, but uh, Connor O'Brien has stepped up and done a nice job in his absence. You go up against uh, another guy with on the other side with Saul Wu Ching who's done a really, really nice job solidifying that edge and getting some pressure. And then inside, again, losing Azeem Victor is kind of the heartbeat of this team. But, again, DJ Beavers has shown that he can he can show uh, toughness and he can kind of play that inside role and has done a nice job uh, kind of picking things up in Azeem's absence. And then Keyshawn Bieria has kind of been Azeem's running mate the last couple of years, and he's shown up and really uh, demonstrated a lot of leadership and getting these guys together and on the same page. So they've done a nice job, but I think, Really, when people look at Washington's defense, they look at the secondary. They look at the cover corners on the outside. Kevin King, Sidney Jones. Sidney Jones, first-team All-Pac-12 guy, no doubt. Kevin King, I think he got named honorable mention. I think he could have maybe been a first-team, second-team, no doubt, but uh, could have also been a first-team guy. And then Buda Baker, who's been everywhere. His play in the Apple Cup was essential for Washington, keeping Washington State to a season-low 17 points. And uh, just did a great job, had a pick, and um, just has really been kind of the, the 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 captain of that of that back end, that secondary. And then also JoJo McIntosh came back and did a nice job these last couple of weeks after missing the Arizona State game. And then we have to talk about uh, the freshman defensive player of the year, Taylor Rapp, who really stepped up and had a couple phenomenal plays in the Apple Cup to kind of keep things going uh, momentum-wise for the defense. And um, he's really shown up and gotten better and better every week. Special teams has been really, really solid with Cameron Van Winkle uh, kicking field goals. Uh, Tristan Vizcaino has solidified the punting position, hasn't been spectacular, has been hit and miss at times, but has been better as the weeks have gone on. And then we all know what uh, Washington can do in the return game with Pettis returning punts and John Ross returning kicks. So overall, very few weaknesses in this Washington team. They um, they have found their footing again in terms of scoring early in the games after kind of tripping up against USC and tripping up against Arizona State. Again, they scored they scored 28 points in that first quarter uh, in the Apple Cup, which uh, tied a school record they had they had set back in 2015 at Oregon State and also back in 1968 against Idaho. So 28 points really set the tone for that team and really put Washington State obviously on the back foot and they could never really recover from there. Had some really good goal line stands which also took the wind out of Washington State's sails and then also had a couple of interceptions especially DJ Beavers in the end zone at the end of the half that really really kept the the momentum from really going in Washington State's favor. So I think some of the keys for this game with Colorado is that uh, Chris Peterson said this week that Colorado really hangs their identity on being a tough-minded team, kind of uh, in the same vein as Stanford. So they're going to have to match. They're going to have to match physicality with physicality. 
and really go after uh, Colorado, I think, that way. And then Sefo Leofau is the quarterback for Colorado. is just really dangerous as a runner, power runner, and they have to really account for him. I don't know if they're going to spy him or do some other things to try to isolate him, but they've got to, they've got to really limit the run game in general. They've got to keep Philip Lindsay down. I know he's been hit and miss sometimes, but they've got to keep him down uh, to reasonable numbers, and then they've really got to force Sefo Leofau to, to beat the Huskies through the air. And um, so I think those are some of the keys for this game. I think it should be an amazing game Friday on Fox, national game, two top ten teams. I think it should be something uh, real special. And obviously I hope that uh, whoever wins that game gets a legitimate shot at uh, the playoffs. All right. Uh, Chris. Pretty thorough. Yeah, very thorough. Um, uh should we yep. hear from Monster Tiger? Yeah, yeah. And real quick, we didn't really talk about Colorado. I think there's still an outside shot that Colorado can win and get into the playoff, but I, it's very outside. Now. I think it's very outside. And I I think they would leap. I mean, they would obviously leap at least one of the. Um, first, I think if Colorado won that game, the Big 12's out. I mean, the Big 12's out regardless. But I think Colorado would leap Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. I think that's definitive. I would say. Um, and then. It really depends on, I mean, are they going to put in the Big Ten champion and Ohio State? Um, because if, they, I mean, I mean if, if Colorado wins and wins the conference and Penn State, say, wins and wins their conference or Wisconsin wins and wins their conference, Wisconsin's rated higher right now and they will have a conference title. So it's either, are they going to eliminate that or are they going to eliminate Ohio State? And I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing either of those. I think Colorado would be on the outside looking in. Yeah, me too. All right, well, let's hear from our buddy Adam. Hi, Ryan and David. Just like we had all predicted in the preseason, Colorado headed to Santa Clara to represent the South Division in the Pac-12 South title game. This is Adam Mustertiger reporting for BuffStampede.com. A casual Pac-12 fan might think the Buffs are just happy to be playing in this championship contest, but with so many seniors on the team, especially on the defensive side of the ball, this is... Their last rodeo, and they feel like if they lose on Friday night, they will have fallen short of their ultimate goal. And some of those upperclassmen have expressed they feel disrespected by the fact there were more UCLA players named first-team all-conference on Tuesday than there were Colorado players represented on that first-team list. Colorado and Washington did not play in the regular season, and they didn't play last season. So there isn't a recent matchup to dissect when previewing this game. What I see when I compare these teams, I, I see two defenses that are elite and fairly comparable, and then I see a Huskies offense then that's been a bit more consistent this season than Colorado. Colorado's offense, it just seems like it's been kind of hit or miss, uh, given on the depending on the week, and, and a big part of that is, is Sefa Lufau. He's the wild card in this football game, in my opinion. He's been really consistent as a power runner when healthy this season. His arm, just not as, as consistent throughout his career at Colorado. Uh, he certainly had a great season, but uh, they're going to need him to show up. They need him to be able to make some plays downfield to loosen up Washington's defense and open up things for Philip Lindsay. He's the team's first 1,000-yard rusher in six years. Last week, you look at it, Utah stacked the box, and Lindsay was limited to 55 rushing yards. Mike McIntyre expects Washington to do the same this week. As he mentioned, you know, teams tend to copy other teams that had success uh, you know, based off their game plan. So, uh, the, again, the pressure is going to be on Lufau to play one of his better games of the season. As a fourth-year starter, a third-year captain, he's certainly capable of it. 
I expect a competitive football game. Not sure if you guys are looking for a prediction, but uh, um, I'll say uh, Washington wins a competitive game 27-21 and earns their ticket to the college football playoff. If indeed that is the outcome on Friday, the, the question then becomes, does Colorado or USC get that Rose Bowl invite? Ryan, curious to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, I keep getting conflicting info on that. Enjoy the show, guys. Keep up the great work. Yeah, good great. stuff. Yeah, from from Adam there. Um, we kind of talked about that a little bit. I yeah, my gut feeling does say that that USC would go, but uh, Dave feels the other way. I've it's I don't think it's close. I've had people tell me, "Oh, USC's definitely going if blah blah blah," or Colorado's definitely going. I don't know if anything's definite with the committee, and it anybody, depends. Anybody who speaks with certainty about these sorts of subjects <laughs> has no friggin' idea what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, all right, so this game. Let's talk this game because I want to talk a football game. Um, Colorado. Uh, so are they? What are they now? Eleven and one against the spread this year. Or is it now ten and two? Ten and two now. Yeah. Ten and two. So they're they're on a one game losing streak now. So we've got to keep that in mind. Yes. Um, Vegas has Washington as seven and a half point favorites. It opened at six and a half. Has moved to seven and a half. That's a big. That's a big point. That is a big point moving. Huge. Because now it's a touchdown. Uh, plus, um, so this is two pretty good defensive teams. Uh, Washington is a far better offensive team. Um, so got to get that out there. Uh, Colorado, a better defensive team, not far better, but a better defensive team. Um, I, I think it's going to be a fairly low scoring game, which means this will probably finish somewhere in the 56 to 50 range. Um, but I think right at this moment, it's going to be a fairly low scoring game. Um, I think Monster Tiger had it right on with a score, scores for both teams in the twenties. Um, I think Colorado can, they can shut down some parts of this Washington offense. Um, I think this is a, Colorado has a really good secondary. Um, they can cause issues for that Washington receiving core. Um, they've got a pretty good run defense. They can cause issues for Miles Gaskin. I think Washington's multifaceted enough that it's foolish to expect Colorado to just completely shut them down. Um, and uh, Colorado's offense is going to have to make some things happen. Um, I think Sefa Lufau is going to have to run the ball a ton. Um, as Fetters alluded to, you know that's something that Washington has to account for. Um, and I think I think Colorado could get some things going on the ground. You know Washington is a little banged up. Um, you know they they lost. Jojo Mathis for the year a little while ago. They lost to Zine Victor. So I, I think they're maybe not as tough as they were midseason defensively. Um, so Colorado could probably get some things on the ground. Um, I think Sefa Lufau's got to play more like the guy he was at the beginning of the year than the guy he's been over the last month. Um, he's got to be a little bit more accurate throwing the football. He's got to be more consistent on the short stuff. Um, he's just been off. Um, I think if Lufau plays, you know, something above his B plus game, I think if he plays somewhere in the A range, um, I think Colorado's got a really good chance of winning the game. Um, if he plays a poor game, if he plays kind of something like he did against, uh, I'm trying to remember what particular game, but two or three games ago, um, then I think Washington could cover this. But I'm going to play play the odds. I'll I'll take Colorado. Um, I'll take those seven and a half points. I don't know if I'd pick them out. You know what? Screw this. Colorado outright or win back ball. Dang. All right, Dave. Well, I'll, uh, I'll disagree. Give you a chance to, to get, yeah, catch please. up a little bit. I think I have a three game lead on you or something like that. Um, yeah. As if you don't count it nightly. 
we don't let's see we have uh it's pretty good i'm i'm 45 30 and 3 on the season you're 42 33 and 3 um that's pretty darn good we're way above 500 uh yeah doing well we're making you tons of money i think we said in the other podcast you have to win like 52 percent or something 52.5 to like so we're way above that um I just like the way Colorado's play. I mean, I'm sorry. I do like the way Colorado's playing, but I just like the way Washington's playing after that loss to USC. Um, I love the way they looked last week in the Apple Cup. It just seems like they had their hiccup. They're going to beat teams pretty badly. And I, I feel like this is like a 10 point, 12 point kind of win, uh, for Washington. The fact that the, the, the spread went from six and a half to seven and a half. That's a big jump. That's a, you know, that's like two or three points because you go over that seven threshold. Um, and if it's trending in that direction with Vegas, I think that, you know, they know something, something's going on. Um, I, I could definitely see Colorado not only covering, but winning this game, but I'm going to play the odds. I think Washington covers. Uh, I'm going to take them. They, uh, Chris Peterson makes the, the Huskies Pac 12 champs. So what you're telling me is that you just have no faith in the buffs. I have faith just- in the buffs. I love got, the way what the buffs are you've doing. You've got none. You've got none. 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 Um, yeah, I know Colorado's won in this game. It won't even be close. <laughs> straight out. <laughs> but Washington's straight out of the water. Um, like no team has done this year. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it'll be competitive. I don't, I think one thing the Monster Tigers said that I think is very true is this is a senior laden Colorado team. They're not going to lay down easy. No. Um, Washington could absolutely cover this and win by 10 or 14 or whatever, but um, I think it's going to be a really competitive game, especially the first half, and uh, should be a lot of fun to watch on Friday night. So you're saying that Colorado's not going to come out and like sun devil it or brewing it or something in the last week of the season? No, 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 Just, no. Like, no, no, not no, even no, show no. up and no. There up. is there is no resemblance between this team <laughs> and either of those two garbage programs right now. <laughs> I am, right. I am a, I am a long time 11 game puff fan. Right All now. right. Well, we're looking forward to this one. So that should be good. Um, when we still got questions to get to. Uh, yeah, we got lots of questions. We do. Okay. So here's, let me, uh, let's see. We got one from Jake. He said, Hey guys, uh, we were lazy this year once the Bruins went in the tank and only did about half the post game Bruins shows for, uh, it says FB. Is that for Facebook? I think that might be for Facebook. I guess so, yeah. Okay. This, these internet terms for these kids. Uh, however, Woodsy was a trooper and I happily, uh, surprised going back and I was happily surprised going back and listening to the first 30 seconds of the shows and having Woods initial statements, uh, about the games. Hope you don't mind. I thought it was fun and don't feel obligated to play it. Uh, but feel free if you want to. So he made a mashup. Uh, so this. How long is this? Uh, I'm going to start it, and then we'll see. Hold on one second. I'm your host, David Woods. We're doing a post-game broadcast. Really, UCLA was a lot worse than I thought. It's not a great way to start off the year. Uh, UCLA just lost in just gruesome, awful fashion to Stanford. Mere moments after UCLA lost uh, 23-20 to ASU. That was just dreadful offensive football. This was uh, really, really hard to watch first half. Uh, UCLA lost again tonight to Washington State. (laughs) Receivers once again dropped balls. I'm coming to you mere seconds after UCLA's most uh, recent riveting loss. Um, This one, the unwatchable 
game against Colorado. The offense was not good putting kids to bed after that riveting, uh, wild game uh, that UCLA lost again. I'd say probably the most unwatchable half of football that I can remember. I'm coming to you immediately after UCLA's 36-14 loss to USC. This one's going to be bad. Pretty brutal loss. Well, that was a game that happened and uh, mercifully ended after a while. So okay, so what is it? This is from your like post game. So I do I do a little post game broadcast after every after every loss. I do it like immediately after the game ends, just to give some people something to listen to that's not like drive time radio. Yeah. And I picked the worst year possible to start doing this, like the worst possible year, because every single game was just a brutal, awful, terrible, terrible football game. So nice. that was fun. Well, yeah, so I just, uh, I downloaded it and I just played it sight unseen. So I was, you know, I wasn't sure how long, but it was only like a minute or so. So that was, thanks for doing that, Jake. That was nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Daniel Saber has a question about sound quality. Um, yeah, the muffled stuff was mostly, I, I don't think it should be muffled anymore. Is I hope it? not. I don't think so. It doesn't sound, it it's definitely sounds better, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I, what was happening was my daughter, um, was playing with my headset and took the little mic cover thing off and then it never reattached perfectly and um i'm an idiot and so i was talking into a muffled mic for a while so i just took that off um so it should be you know my, you might hear my peas popping a little bit more but otherwise it should sound okay um, cool what else we got there we've got a question from bob in roseville hello ryan and david as they say on sports radio, first time, long time, and I hope you both had a great Thanksgiving. Love the podcast. You are a great tag team. Ryan, you're the perfect compliment to Dave's snarky attitude. Dave, don't stop being you. My question is for Ryan. I'm sorry to say that I am not a subscriber to your site, but as a scout site publisher, do you get heat and or pressure from the USC athletic department or administration to put out pro-USC propaganda when the fans are restless? I ask this because I recently read something on another scout site that sounded to me like talking points from an athletic department public relations staffer. I was wondering if you had anything like that happen or if you've heard anything like that. That's Bob, right? This is Bob. Okay, Bob. I try to be snarky too. So if I'm not as snarky as Dave, but the, you know, that's, I take offense <laughs> to that. I can be a little snarky. So follow my on Twitter inside Troy. Um, no, there's no, uh, there's no communication. There's no pressure. I think, I, I think there's, Throughout our industry, there's publishers that do things differently, and there's ones that are more on the objective side and ones that are closer to, I don't know, we would say fandom, Dave, or what's the, uh, I don't know. It, yeah. It's, yeah, uh, there's, there's, there's the honky side, there's the not honky side. Um, I think being a, like the very nature of it is a little bit to the left of journalism just because you're, you're only covering you're one team, to, you know. Yeah. yeah, and you're you're appealing directly. I mean, your your fan base is. I mean, like it's just fans of your team, and they're the most passionate fans of the team you cover who are subscribing to your site. Yeah. So you're not playing to them. You're not trying to. But there's an element where you're maybe laser focusing on things that like a traditional newspaper isn't going to focus on at all. Yeah, I mean, so it's you know, like Dave covers UCLA. I cover USC. Um, I definitely try to be objective. There's no, I've never got an email from, you know, the administration or anything like, Hey, why are you saying this? Or why did you break this story or whatever? Like last night I broke that, uh, 
um, Noah Jefferson was transferring out of the program. So, um, you know, if it's a story where there's like, uh, you know, it's awful, awful stuff going on, um, it might not be in my best interest to break it, uh, you yeah. know, but like you, you cover the team. So it's like, that's, that's, you know, it's what you do. And it's never like, uh, they're, they're never like asking, at least they haven't asked me not to say something or not to cover something. I mean, there's, you know, we have disagreements with the sports information people sometimes and, uh, you know, you'll debate things or whatever, but for the most part, you cover it like you would, you know, it's the LA times or the orange County register or whatever, except, you know, we only cover, uh, USC. Right. Yeah. I think that's fair. If that makes sense. All right. One more question. Oh, we got a, yeah, a bunch more questions, but next question. Um, why is it so hard for LA schools to hire proven winners? Uh, I, this is from MH Bruin. <laughs> I have noticed that in both major sports, both LA schools have rarely hired a proven winning college coach. Ben Howland is probably the only one in recent years in either sport. Other than the second term of John Robinson, it is hard to find a USC football hire since well before 1960 that was a proven college coach. For SC Hoops, I guess Tim Floyd was a winner but had a lot of baggage. For UCLA basketball, only Gene Barto and Howland come to mind going back to the hiring of John Wooden. UCLA football, you probably have to go back to Tommy Prothrow. These are considered high-profile jobs, particularly SC and UCLA uh, basketball. Many people consider Los Angeles a great place to live. Other programs hire proven winners. Do you have any idea why this has been the pattern? Um, my take on it, for why, and I know this is true from the UCLA perspective, and I have an inkling it was true from USC in the 90s. Um, it's since been less true, but I don't get the impression they were paying market. Um, I, I think UCLA was trying, definitely UCLA was going on the cheap in the 90s, and I think USC was to a small extent. Um, and I think there's, for whatever reason, um, maybe it's a little bit more justifiable at USC. There's a real insular attitude with both programs. Um, and I don't know if that's lessening at USC. Um, at UCLA, I mean, they went through a run of just hiring alumni. Um, you know, Rick Neuheisel and Carl Durrell. Um, and then like even going back to, you know, after Jim Herrick won a title, they just promoted an assistant coach. And if you look at Oregon, that's a great example of when that continuity can work for a really long time. But, um, UCLA hadn't had much success with it in either sport and they kept going back to it. So that was really questionable for a very long time. They finally hired Jim Mora and he had a really nice, you know, start to his time here. I mean, we'll see how it ends, but, um, I, I think that's a big part of it is kind of the insular thing. And I know for UCLA, and I don't want to speak for USC because I don't know what they pay their coaches or what they paid in the past, but UCLA definitely underpaid coaches for a long time um, and has broken out of that now, but they underpaid for a while and uh, tried to hire from within way too much. Yeah. I think some of the same stuff goes on with USC and uh, you know, it starts with the administration. Um, I think there's a lot of people that have been there for a long time and you feel comfortable and you don't want to rock the boat too much. Um, they've hired USC's last two athletic directors have not had any athletic directing experience, but they both play football at USC. Um, and so, so they're kind of like, you know, I want to say figureheads, but they're kind of, you know, they're running the program, but the people all around them are the same people that have been doing it for years and years. Um, I think with like the Pete Carroll thing, he wasn't like an established college coach, but he at least had some like NFL, you know, he was an NFL head coach a couple of times and ended up, you know, doing really well. But yeah, I, I disagreed with many of the decisions, um, that the administration have made on the USC side. So I would be, as an example of the last question, like I'm, I was very critical of the hire. I mean, I, Clay Helton's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, but I would tell him to his face, like you were hired and your resume didn't match the job that you were taking, you know, and 
I think he would admit that. Like, yeah, it's, it, he knows that there was a reach from USC to hire him. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I don't know why, if it's an LA thing, you would think in a place like LA, they would, you know, shoot for the, the moon. And we haven't really seen that. And I think it's okay to shoot for the moon and miss sometimes, at least on the USC side, Dave, it seems like they were afraid of getting told no. And they didn't want to air the dirty laundry. It's a private school. and They didn't want, you know, some big search or something coming out where they, they tried to get Urban Meyer or something. They couldn't get them. It seems like there was, there was a little bit of that, like a fear of being told no. And that's why you go out and just get Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, you know, people that you know really well, as opposed to someone outside the program that would do a good job that you just don't, that's just not part of the USC quote unquote family at this point. Yeah. I think that's all fair. Um, so Nicholas, uh, emailed in and said, I still sound muffled. So there's got to be something going on. Hmm. I just changed the setting on my soundboard that was a little bit off. So hopefully that works. I'll but, try to when I edit it to, together. Um, sorry about that, Nicholas. Yeah, we're very sorry. I, I want to sound clear for you. That's what I'm here for. Um, Nick has his rundown. You want me to do it? Uh, yeah, go ahead. All right. First off, hope everyone had a fun and safe Thanksgiving rundown. Two games on Friday, Washington 45 versus Washington State 17. Well, I guess you can say I was wrong. Washington State played bad and didn't finish the season strong. Washington is the second best team in the Pac-12 and won't be playing the best team in the title game. <laughs> ASU 35 versus Arizona 56. Wow is all I can say. ASU started 4-0, then faced USC, and it all went downhill from there. When is Coach Graham on the hot seat? 5-7. and Rich Rod salvages season by beating rival. Saturday, 27 Notre Dame versus 45 USC. Wow, what a great way to finish out the season on an eight-game winning streak. More wins than our two rivals and owning the Pac-12, even though there is no title game. I still expect to be in the Rose Bowl versus a Big Ten team. Notre Dame was dirty and sore losers. Lost a lot of respect for number 99, Jerry Tillery. Uh, Oregon, 24 versus Oregon State, 34. Again, same as the Arizona versus ASU game. How do you lose to an inferior team like OSU? If you are Oregon, Mark H., you're gone like Charlie Strong. I guess OSU isn't garbage. Well, yeah, they are. <laughs> UCLA, 10 versus Cal, 36. Big win for Cal. And, well, UCLA has a lot of questions left to answer in the offseason. Mora better come strong next year, or he might not be around long. Utah, 22 versus Colorado, 27. Utah just isn't that good, I guess. Colorado's made huge strides this year. Too bad they will lose to UW on Friday. No, they won't, Nick. Rice, 17 versus Stanford, 41. Christian McCaffrey, show again. Will he stay or will he go to the NFL draft? Rice is irrelevant. Stanford finishes the season strong. Questions. Who of UCLA and USC is leaving early for the draft? Um, Eddie Vanderdose. He announced already, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, my guy, man. yeah, Mr. Vanderdose, he's gone. Um, Connor McDermott, I guess, is technically still eligible because he missed a couple of years, so he could, in theory, get a sixth year, but he's probably gone. Um, trying to think if there's anybody else who makes sense to go from UCLA. Uh, now it's mostly just going to be, um, the upperclassmen leaving. I don't see any other obvious juniors that make sense. So that would, those would be the two guys. For uh, USC, most likely Juju Smith-Schuster and Adoree Jackson. They'll both have kind of said things that made it like kept the door open a little bit, but uh, I don't really see. I put that as a 0.0. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there were some rumblings that maybe like Damian Mama, the offensive guard, uh, potentially. He he was a signing day. He came in on signing day with those two, those, you know, with Juju and Adoree. Um, I don't think he's quite ready yet, but we've seen, you know, offensive linemen do that uh, in the past. Um, 
Yeah, that's about it. I don't think anyone else would really uh consider going. I mean, but we've we usually there's some guy that you don't expect to go yeah. that goes. And then you find out later that there was a whole different reason for them leaving. Yes. Aside from <laughs> any kind of NFL aspirations. Um yeah. all right, Dave, who would win if they played next week? UCLA versus Notre Dame. Notre Dame, no question. Um who are your Pac-12 Player of the Year on defense, offense, and special teams, and Coach of the Year? Um, I'll go first. Unless sure. you want to go. Okay. Um, coach of the Year, Mike McIntyre. Special teams, Adoree. Um, offense, Jake Browning, and defense. I'd probably go like a Hunter Dimmick, but you could easily talk me into Karis McKinley or any of the good players on Colorado or Washington. I think there were a lot of good options, but I'd probably go Hunter Dimmick. I pretty much agree. I would, I think I'd go Dimmick just because of all the sacks, but McKinley, and you're like, you want to punish him for being on a, a bad team, but he did so much for that team. Um, he was a big reason why they weren't two and 10. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, Dimmick had a lot of better guys around him, I think. Um, although, but whatever, but I, yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, I think Dory shouldn't have been the defensive player. He gave up a bunch of touchdowns. Now he made a bunch of crazy plays too, but it was more of like his overall game, I think is why he was rewarded for that. So if there's a special teams one, I would go there. Um, you know, McIntyre 10 games from that. I mean, it's, how do you not give it to him? I mean, I, I think Clay Helton did a great job turning the, the team around and stuff, but, um, and you know, Chris Peterson certainly, uh, going 11 one and stuff up there, but you know, the, it's usually for coach of the year. It's like the biggest turnaround and Colorado had that. Yeah, completely agree. And then he says, can we talk a little basketball? What do you think about the L.A. schools? And I'll say no, but um, <laughs> no. I haven't watched a single USC game this year, and I, I can only imagine that Ryan has not as well. Uh, I've watched a little. I've watched a little. They're like 6-0, and oh, which is crazy. They beat Texas yeah, A&M on the road, which that's something. Yeah, whatever. I mean, okay, sure. <laughs> um, UCLA looks pretty good. Um, they still don't really play great defense, and I think that'll be a big limiting factor for them this year, but uh, they certainly look very good with Lonzo Ball. So we'll maybe talk a little bit more basketball later on. Um, We've got, I think, one last question. Yeah, yeah, one quick thing. Casey tweeted us. um, He said it's award season in the Pac-12. What say you, Pac-12 podcast? Did the Pac-12 get it right? Um, We kind of talked about that mostly. I just wanted to mention his question. Uh, Was there any, like, big snubs? I I really thought Colorado should have some more dudes on there than they did. but Yeah, I thought, I mean, I hate to do this because I sound like, I sound like all the people who follow me on Twitter, but I thought UCLA got a little overrepresented on this. <laughs> I mean, so UCLA has Scott Quisenberry as a first team offensive lineman. And like, I don't want to like denigrate personal, like single guys on the offensive line. And I don't think Quisenberry was very good this year. And I'll just say that, but putting a guy from one of the worst rushing teams in the nation, like putting a offensive lineman from one of the worst rushing teams in the nation on the first team offense shows that nobody was watching football this year who voted on these teams <laughs> because, and, and like not even not watching football, nobody did any research of any kind before voting on these teams because that's crazy. And they had, UCLA had two offensive linemen in the first and second team offense. That's just no, 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 no. That's not right. Um, and so like, and I talk about UCLA cause I know, obviously I know that team best. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a little questionable. Um, I thought, uh, you know, I thought defensively that was fine. I thought Fabian Moreau could have gotten a look as a first or second team, de- uh, defensive back. I thought he had a really good year, 
but there were a lot of good corners in the league this year, so I don't have any issue with that. But I thought offensively UCLA was a little overrepresented given the quality of their offense this year. And um, other than that, I didn't really have any significant objections. I think you could have made an argument for Sam Darnold as one of the one of the first or second team quarterbacks just because once he started, he was probably right there as the best quarterback in the league or pretty close to it. Um, running backs, there were so many options that I don't think they had a good way of choosing. So I don't blame them for, you know, just kind of going with what they went with. Um, and then defensively, yeah, I, th- I mean, I thought it was all, honestly, compared to previous years, I thought it was okay. I didn't, I didn't see any like huge glaring issues uh, really aside from that UCLA thing with the offensive line. And I think the offensive lines are really hard to, I mean, how much are you watching if you vote on these teams and stuff like that? Like, do you really know? And you figure do, coaches... like, do you like the 20 minutes of research about offensive lines I do before I write the previews? Like, just do that. <laughs> so you know who the best guy is on these teams. And then the teams that run the best and protect the quarterback the best, you put them on the first and second team. This isn't like, you don't have to go in and do film study. Just, like, go read a notebook that some beat writer writes about Colorado and then put one of their linemen there. You know, it's not hard. And I, I, I think a lot of it too is just the, the number of players. Like it doesn't reflect. If you look at the lineup, if you looked at the first team lineup, it doesn't reflect like what offenses or defenses are being run. I mean, how many defenses in the Pac 12 have four defensive linemen? Like that's what they list or, you know, yeah. two running backs and two wide receivers. Like they should have three wide receivers. I mean, there's so many wide receivers in this league to have just two on the first team doesn't, I think that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they should be creating, like, teams. I think they should have, like, a set number for each position. I think that would make the most sense. Um, and, like, I mean, how many teams in the league are using, like, a true tight end? Like, more than, like, 50% of plays. Because I don't think it's many. No. Um, so, and six offensive linemen for each team for some reason. Who knows why? Um, yeah, I, I just think there was a lot of kind of weirdness and i think they could probably rethink the whole idea of all this stuff especially with how many packages are in on offense now and how many of these teams are just straight running nickel all the time like they should have a nickel i mean uh, most of these teams are like running a nickel defense for like 75 percent of plays yeah you know the nickel backs should be and a lot of them like a lot of the nickels are like defined this is their nickel back um so anyway that's just a lot of nonsense but good question casey yeah and then we've got, I think, one last email question. Okay. Um, uh, Anthony Flores uh, says, Hi, Ryan and Dave. Can you pick the other Power 5 Conference Championship games? Okay. Yeah, we have no expertise, but let's do it. Uh, de facto Big 12 Championship game, Oklahoma State at Oklahoma. Uh, era. Let's do it based on the lines. Do you want to add this to our thing this week, just for random noise in the uh, in the model? Oh, okay. We can do that. Uh, All right. Let me, let me, uh, let let me pull, pull it up, up the lines. Write it down here. Yeah, let's let's I mean let's have a little fun with this. Um all right, so Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma. This is Oklahoma, I think at home, favored by eleven points. I think I like uh I like the Sooners here. So you wanna take let's see. Yeah, I, I would pick Oklahoma in this one too. Um I mean they still think they have some kind of outside shot at making the playoff. So let's do, we'll both take Oklahoma. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, 
All right. Then we've got Alabama versus Florida. The line on this one is Alabama by 24 points. <laughs> uh, give me Bama. Okay. <laughs> I think they could. I, I mean, I've, I've seen Florida play some football this year, and I think Bama could beat them by about 45 points. Yeah, I, I want to do a different pick than you, but I'm just going to take Bama because I've uh, seen them play, and they, yeah. That Florida's yeah, yeah. awful. Like, Florida's just terrible. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, Clemson versus Virginia Tech. This one's intriguing for me. Um, let's see what that line is. Uh, Clemson minus 10. Uh, I'm definitely taking Virginia Tech in those points. Um, I, I, Clemson has played down to its opponents this year, and I think Virginia Tech's semi-dangerous. Um, got a good quarterback. Um, First year of Justin Fuente has gone pretty damn well for them. Um, they ha- they lost like a weird game to Syracuse, I think, earlier this year, but they've been mostly pretty solid. So I like them to cover that. Um, not sure about winning. I think that would throw the uh, the uh, the whole charade of uh, the playoff into a tizzy. But um, that actually is the game that might open things up for a Colorado win over Washington. If Virginia Tech wins that game, could the ACC be shut out? Potentially, yeah. Because Clemson, you know, they've got, they've got, eh, I don't know, maybe not. But they've I got Michigan's one tough, loss at home, and then they lost to Virginia Tech. Those are two worse losses than Colorado has. Yeah. But will Colorado, like, I think Michigan would benefit more than Colorado. Yeah, but Michigan isn't even going to win its division. But they beat Colorado head to head, too. But then are you talking, I mean, this is the question that comes up. If Clemson gets knocked out, then are you talking to me about Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, and then the winner of Wisconsin, Penn State, as the four playoff teams? Potentially. From the Big Ten? <laughs> There's no effing way they would do that. Yeah. Do you know, they don't want to blow up their system. Like, they don't want to blow up their entire system in the first, like, iteration, or the third iteration of the playoff. And that would blow it up. Yeah. I mean... An SEC team, three Big Ten teams, and you shut out the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12, they would riot. There would be riots in the street. I think Colorado makes it in that scenario. I think it happens. All right. Um, All right. So if you're a Buffs fan, root for your team, obviously, but also root for Virginia Tech, because I think that leads to some craziness. Um, and then the final one. Wait, hold on. I didn't even pick this one yet, Dave. Oh, sorry. 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 <laughs> I'll, take I'll take Clemson. Uh, Beamer ball, man. Clemson. Oh, wait. He's not so there anymore. We're going opposite. Yeah, we'll go opposite on this one. Okay. All right. You just you don't want to believe in the dream that is Colorado making the playoff. That's what I'm hearing. That's all I'm hearing today. Uh, I'm trying to be realistic, Dave. And uh, I love what Colorado did, but I don't think they're a playoff team. Whatever. All right. Uh, and then Penn State versus Whiskey. Um, Wisconsin is favored by two and a half. Um, that's a little peculiar to me. My impression, and I haven't tried – I've tried to actively avoid watching as much Big Ten football as possible this year, but my impression is that Penn State has been playing better football of late. Um, so give me Penn State out right here. I think they uh, take this one over Wisconsin. Ooh, uh, I got to see Wisconsin in the bowl game last year, and I, they have USC's former defensive coordinator. Uh, <laughs> but he's actually Penn done State? well. Is that what you mean? What? So give me Penn State. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so we picked different on what Virginia Tech Clemson. Yeah, Virginia Tech Clemson. Uh, I could go. I could take Wisconsin if we want to just do something different. Yeah, do it. Let's that would give you a chance to tie. Okay, so I'll. Uh, 
Justin Wilcox. I'm going to go with him. Um, I'll take Wisconsin. Okay. So that's three different games and you're, you're down by three. So you have a chance to tie. I know. This is a big, big week for me. And then, uh, based on our conference championship picks, who are our four playoff teams? Um, Uh, I think it's for me. It ends up being Bama, Ohio State, uh, Penn State, and Colorado. <laughs> okay. Can we put like that's what it's gonna end up being, everybody? All right. If it does, I owe you a coke because that's certainly not happening. Um, <laughs> I think it's gonna be Alabama, uh, Ohio State, Clemson, and well, and Washington. All right. Cool. Should be fun. Yeah, good stuff. All right, so this was what four hours? No, oh my god, like we really almost got to two hours, and yeah. uh, I already pushed my lunch date back, um, so I'll have to push it back a little more. But good stuff, Dave. It was a big show yeah. to end the uh, regular season. Yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun, and uh, we'll be back uh, after the conference championship. Probably talk some bowl selections and things. Yeah, those are that'll be kind of crazy and stuff too. So, all right, so that was David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. We are the podcast of champions. Thanks for being a trooper and tuning in for almost two hours. Hope we uh, entertained you and we will talk to you next time.